0: God, I want to thank you for grace. I want to thank you for uh, your heart, that you reveal it to us and that you invite us to join you in the work of your heart. So, God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes that see. Give us, give us a, a strength to pursue. Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. John chapter 9. Now chapter 9 in John was the chapter that got us into all kinds of trouble. It was the chapter that that took us down this little tangent for the last couple weeks. Because of those words that Jesus said in the first couple verses, he said, we have to do the work of him who sent me. The the works of him who sent me, you know, and that whole thing, it's just kind of, it kind of echoes around in, in my mind. And, you know, I just, I just continually think about that and think about that over and over again. And it goes beyond church. It goes beyond just being missional. It goes beyond us doing cool programs for church. This is about how each of us live as individuals. What do we make important in our own lives? Because what you make important in your life, that's what you become. That's the thing that you pursue. That's where you put your attention, your passion, and your energy to. That thing that you believe is important. And so what comes first in your life? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of you? But God calls us, God calls us to put his kingdom first to put the things of, of him first. But that means that if I do that, then I have to actually, I have to put, I have to get involved with the kingdom of God and put the kingdom of Dennis off to the side. I mean, I like the kingdom of Dennis. It's really cool there. There's not a lot of work to be done there. You know, and I mean, the kingdom of Dennis, you could slide right through. It's, it's, I would invite you all to come sometime. I mean, it's, it's just a very good place. But God calls us to something different. Well, it's still day, Jesus says, "Well, it's still light, we're called to do the work of, of him who sent Jesus. And that him is God. That's what we're called to do. You see, I'm finding in my own life that I really like the things of God, right? I like the blessings of God. I like the successes of God. But, but sometimes that whole relationship thing, that's a little tough. Because, because being in a relationship with God, that means that I have to, submit to God. And we don't like submission in our society. It's not a good word. You know, tell a wife to submit to a husband and to step back because there's going to be legs and arms flying. That's just not cool to talk about. Um, but, but this whole idea of, of submitting, we don't like it. And in part, it's because, listen, I know me better than anybody else. And I know what I need, and I know when I need it, and I know the best way to get it. Yeah, right. Like, I know more than God. But you see, God calls us, God calls us to seek him while he still can be found. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of the things of earth will will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I'm I'm just saying. So let's go. John chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, but we're going to land and spend our time in verses 6 and 7. But I just want to refresh your memory of the story. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Oh, ta-da! Let me get out of the way. He saw a blind man from birth. Oh, I'm now on your way, huh? Uh, I'll equal opportunity offender. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, asked Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as, it is, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Next slide, Wes. He was, um, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sense. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So Jesus is out with the boys. He's walking around. They see this blind man. He is going to cure him. He is going to cure his blindness. And it says that he has been blind from birth. So this is not just an easy fix. This is something that probably has never been done. Yes, yes, eyes have been healed throughout antiquity, but usually it's just good luck of the person and not necessarily any medicine that was put on them. And so Jesus what he does is he spits in the ground and he makes some mud which come on man that's just gross okay i mean there's there's just no way around it i want you to do an experiment today as you're outside walking around see how much spit it actually takes to make a good wad of mud in the ground okay ew i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of look at it, everybody's like you never thought about that? Come on, how many times have you read this? It's gross, okay? So, so this is what Jesus does. And, and so he's working a little bit. He's like having this external moment of, of trying to, to show something here. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything at all. He's Jesus. He can just say the word, and this man will see again. He doesn't even have to say the word. He can just think the word. And that's the only way that I can describe in my own brain, like not doing anything. And this man would be healed. He doesn't have to do anything. I remember, remember the woman who was suffering from bleeding from all those years? All she did was reach out and touch his cloak. She was healed. Jesus doesn't have to do anything. Now, in the ancient world, um, spit or saliva used in the hands of somebody that would be considered sacred or royalty was believed to have healing powers. Especially in the context of of eye disease, of lazy eye and or blindness and or temporary blindness. I mean all of these different things. That was said that used in the right hands, saliva could cure. So it would be very common for people to see spit being put into people's eyes. I shouldn't say spit. Saliva sounds much better. Saliva into, into people's eyes. But the whole mud thing. Jesus is just messing with people, I think a little bit here, and, and we 're not really sure what was going on, but he is using the the practice of the day he 's using, if you would, the science of the day to cure this man to cure an impossible case of blindness. Now, some scholars would say the whole mud thing has to do with genesis chapter two when when God creates man out of the dirt, and jesus he 's kind of creating again he's he 's making this man whole by by using the dirt there 's this whole the whole symbolism thing going on or some Pharisees, some rabbinic writers would say that on the Sabbath, and this took place on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath it was not legal for you to spit on the ground because by spitting on the ground you would create mud. And mud was used to build bricks and to make mortar to build houses. So actually if you spit, it was just like working. And so maybe Jesus was just poking fun at the Pharisee. I, I, we don't really know. But he, what he does, he puts, he spits on the ground, He makes some mud. I mean, imagine like, hey, Peter, come here, I need some more. Everybody's, I don't know. But anyway, so he he gets this mud and he smears it in this guy's eyes, which has got to be uncomfortable for this guy. He's got mud in his eyes. I don't care if you're blind or not. Ew, that's got to to be uncomfortable. And, you know, and it doesn't say if Jesus said, hey, come here, I want to heal you. Or, hey, this is going to be weird, but just, just bear with me on this. We don't see any of that happening. He just says he spits and puts it in his eyes. And I wonder if the guy heard the conversation with Jesus and the disciples. Like, I mean, you wouldn't walk up, and walk up in front of a blind man and just look at him and go, hey, who's sinned, him or, him or his parents? I mean, that would have been so awkward. So I'm not sure the blind man even really knows what's going on here. He's just stood up and somebody is smearing mud in his eyes. And then Jesus tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And... Again, we, we see Jesus doing this external thing. So we've got the mud going on. and you know, What's he doing with that whole spit and mud thing? And Now he tells him to go wash in the pool, which he really didn't have to go wash in the pool. I mean, I mean, why wash in the pool? Well, I mean, on the surface, the guy's got mud in his eyes. So I guess to get the mud out, water would be the best thing. But he tells him to go wash in this pool. And it's a sacred pool. remember, this is the pool that they would draw water out for the temple or, or for the festival of tabernacles when they would celebrate the gift of water every day during that festival. So this is a very sacred pool. but I think there's something else going on here. Jesus is inviting this guy to take an active part in his own healing. He doesn't have to, but, but for whatever reason, Jesus wants him to take to take part in his own healing. And, and, and it begs the question again, why? What's, what is going on? What is happening? What is he trying to teach? What is he trying to show? What is, he, what is he trying to accomplish? We have to remember that Jesus initiates this whole healing. The guy doesn't ask for it. I, I mean, I'm sure that Jesus, his heart breaks when he sees people that, that need physical healing, that need spiritual healing. He wants everyone to be healed, but he initiates it with this guy. And this, this blind man, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that he's the Messiah. I mean, eventually he'll get there, but he doesn't know right now. In fact, when he's first question, he calls him the prophet, a prophet. But he doesn't really know who he is. So, so what is going on? He spits, makes the mud, spears the mud in the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool. I don't know about you, but this is kind of an odd story. I mean, even even for God, it's it's kind of an odd story that that Jesus is going to do this this very strange thing. I mean, the man could have freaked out a little bit. He's he's got mud in his eyes, but he's, Jesus sends him to the pool. Wouldn't it be easier to get somebody's Nalgene bottle and just like oh, and wash them? I mean, but but for whatever reason, even in its oddness, the man obeys. The man the man trusts, and he goes to the pool. He follows what Jesus. Instructed him to do. Maybe he thought, man, I, I got nothing to lose. Maybe he was a little ticked off because he got mud in his eye and he figured he's going to have to go wash it out. I don't know. Whatever the reason, he obeys and he comes back seeing. He comes back healed. Healing, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, healing doesn't always come the way that we would expect it to come. Healing doesn't always come exactly the way we have prayed it to come. God is not a God of formula. I mean, we like formulas. Formulas are like nice and neat, and they're just very linear in their thought process. You know, A plus B equals three, and, and that's comfortable, and we can figure that out. And I know what I said, so don't even think about it. So, so you know, and, and it's, very, it's very tidy, and, 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 and it's, you know, here it is, and the formula is the formula. And if the formula is correct, then it's always going to be correct. But God, God's not a God of formula. God plays by the rules, don't get me wrong, but they're his rules. God makes the rules. Even the rules that we follow, we think we make. God has allowed us to make those rules because, for whatever reason, they're fitting into what God's plan is. So God plays by the rules. Usually they're his rules. And sometimes healing doesn't come at all. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and we get nothing. Paul prayed for that thorn to be removed from his side. And God's like, yeah, not so much. You just hang with that thorn because when you're weak, I'm strong. Not the answer I would want. So so healing is, is, a very, is a very interesting thing when it comes to God. See, I believe that it's there's a bigger plan to it. It's not just about the fix. It's not just about taking care of this. But there's there's a process that we go through in our healing. And that process is equally important. And then there's something bigger at the end that I believe God wants to do in whatever type of healing that He may want to do in your life, or whatever type of thing you haven't been healed from. There's some reason for it, there's a bigger picture that's taking place. This guy goes through a process. He gets the mud, gets in his eyes, he's sent to the pool. He washes, he comes home seeing, and eventually this man will have faith in Jesus. He didn't have it before. But eventually, he will get there. He will come to have a strong faith. In fact, his faith is going to be tested by some really scary religious people of his day, and he's going to stand firm in what he believes. You see, our healing, our wholeness is about, it's always about coming to a place of having faith in who Jesus is because isn't that what healing really is about? When you have faith in Jesus, you are healed on a very, very deep level. And it's not just on the surface. And you can be physically ill, sick, whatever it is, and have faith. And God says, you have a healing that goes way beyond just what the world sees. And this is what this man will have come to. And so God, he may ask us to do things that don't make sense that are just kind of weird, that are just kind of out there. That, I mean, I mean, why, why would God ask me to do this? It's just, it doesn't fit in the big picture. I have known people that have answered the call of God, even as strange as it may have seemed. they've answered the call of God and been healed from things in their life they didn't even know were broken. They didn't even have an idea that they needed that healing. But God always has the bigger picture for our lives in his mind, in his heart. And sometimes he doesn't get there in the very common, easy, formulaic ways because it is part, it is the process. And he invites us to take a part, to take part in our healing. He invites us to become active participants, not so we can boast, not we can be like, hey, look what I did. You know, I, whatever, I accomplished this. No, no, no. He, he invites us so that our healing or our lack of it can produce stronger faith, a faith in who Christ is. Look at this man at the end of his story. We'll give you a preview. Jesus said, hey, do you believe in the son of man? And he asked, well, who is he? Lord, so I could believe. And Jesus said, I'm standing right in front of you and the man said lord i believe and he worshiped him this man came to a place of knowing finally who jesus was the messiah but you know that's not all that's happening in the story that's not all that's happening just in these these few verses Jesus is the master of pulling it deep. The writers, the ancient writers, are masters at writing on so many different levels. And you have to notice here that the pool of Siloam, it's named specifically. And then there's this little tidbit of information. It translates the word for us. It says that that word means sent. And we've been talking about being sent for weeks now. And it says that, that this pool means Sent And this idea of, of sentness in John's gospel is very, very important to him. He wants us to understand that, that the father sent Jesus for a purpose, to heal, to reconcile, to put everything back together. Jesus, or God sent Jesus to live in the creation, to show the creation how it should live, and then to reconcile it all back to him. Jesus was sent, and then we see that the Father and the Son will eventually send the Holy Spirit. We had talked about that last week or the week before. I don't know what week it was, but I remember talking about it, and you should too. And so there's this whole idea of of sent here. This man is healed in reference to and by the one who has been sent. And John doesn't want us to miss this, this point. But let's, let's drill down just a little deeper in the story, all right? Let's, let's, let's just take it to maybe, maybe you haven't thought about this before. This man meets Jesus. Jesus meets this man. Jesus does something to him and then sends him. He smears the mud in his eye and tells him, go and do something. Go and wash in the pool. Now it would have been, let's, let's, let's think about this. The story says that as the disciples and Jesus were moving along, they found this guy. So chances are, and most scholarship would agree that this miracle is not taking place near the pool. And it would, be, it would be easy for this guy just to say, help, I need some water. I need to wash this mud out. Instead of having to travel to the pool, he either has to fumble his way there or ask somebody to help him and lead him there. This is not just a guy that can take a casual walk. But Jesus told him to go, and he obeyed what Jesus said. He went and he washed, and he returned seeing. And I would argue that not only did he return seeing in the physical sense, but as the story um, moves along, he begins to see in the spiritual sense. This man will come to faith. Jesus sent him to do something, and now he returns healed. He returns seeing. He has to return with joy. Imagine being blind for all of your life, meeting this guy, having him smear some mud in your eyes, and you go wash and pull, and you could see what that must feel like. Man, I am psyched when I get over a cold, let alone, can you imagine being blind all of your life and being able to see? I would say that that us joining God and what God is doing, that, that when we answer God's call to go, that we too come back healed. That we too come back with a stronger faith than what we left with. When we answer the call to be sent, our faith strengthens and we, to become healed. You know, this, this idea appears a couple of times in scriptures, the, the whole being sent and then the revelation of who Jesus is, the whole being sent and coming to a place of, of actually being saved. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm an equal opportunity offender, so i right now. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others. And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Okay, so this happens right after Jesus sends out the 12 and they come back. They come back all lit up. They're really psyched at all the success they had. And so he's going to send 72 others out on this missions trip, on this mission journey to go out and to do some work among the people. And he says right off the bat, listen, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, if you don't know anything about shepherding, let me just explain a couple fundamentals here. A shepherd protects the lamb against the wolves because wolves really enjoy eating lambs now. I can relate to that. There's nothing like lamb chops on the grill, a little rosemary, a little thyme. I'm there. I'm with them. But this is the job of a shepherd to protect the lamb from the wolves. Jesus already is setting this thing up. Now, I know that we always like to say, oh, no, what he's saying is, go be humble among the people who you know, who are not so humble. I get that, but let's be realistic. He's going, you know what? This might not go well for you. You might, get, you might get beat up. You might get rocks thrown at you. I mean, you're going into dangerous territory, and this is how you're going to go out, just like a lamb would be sent in to a pack of wolves. And you know what? If a lamb goes into a pack of wolves, it doesn't fare well for the lamb. Jesus is already setting this thing up to say, you know what? This may not, this may not, be easy. Next slide. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town, we wiped from our feet as a warning to you yet. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus is telling them. Oh, wait, where am I here? Okay. Okay. Jesus is telling them, listen, I want you to go and get involved with people's lives. But before that, man, he he says, listen, I want you to go, and I don't even want you to take the most basic necessities for your journey. I don't want you to take any money. I don't want you to take any extra clothes. I don't want you to take any sandals for any extra pair of shoes. Now, this is not the way you would travel to another town, to another place. This would not be the way to go in the first century unless of course you had to go that way, but this is not the way you would plan it. It would be like for me to say to all of you, listen, this is what I want. This is this is homework assignment number 2. What I want you to do today is leave your wallets here, okay? Promise I won't touch them. Leave them here. I want you to get in your car and I want you to drive and I want you to drive to another town. I want you to drive to another city, maybe even another state. And, and, and I, want you, I want you to do some, some stuff there. Don't, take, don't go home and pack. Don't tell anybody that you're, that you're going. Don't talk to anybody about you're going. This is important. Just just go. Now, first of all, none of you would go. I'm sure of it. But even if you entertain the idea, even for a, like a split <laughs> second, you'd be like, well, well, how am I going to put gas in my car? And uh, how am I going to buy food? And what if nobody takes me into their house? And then what am I going to do if nobody takes me in the house? I have no money so I can get a, a room or anything like that. And and I mean and, and for real no no extra clothes ew that's just gross I mean I mean listen a journey without fresh skivvies is just not a journey at all I mean there's certain things that we need to take with us TMI all right never no, sorry and so and so there's this there's whole I mean you would not do it and this is exactly what Jesus is asking them to do it doesn't make sense and then he tells them this you know what Go into people's houses, get involved with them. You got nothing, and I want you to go. And I want you to, to go, go into their homes, become part of their lives, and sit down and eat whatever they give you. And for a good Jew, that could be a lot of trouble. When I was my first trip to the Czech Republic, um I I I was staying with with um the way the way it works is the students that we stay with are supposed to be our caregivers. They're supposed to like, you know cook, and, and this is part of the whole exchange, cultural exchange, because we, we stay with, with the family, and then the second week, we go to the, the International Youth Festival. So I was staying with my family, and uh, one night for dinner, it was a couple days in, and, and this verse just kind of really hit me. Um, I was given, I was given this, this dessert, this kind of um, cake-ish thing, and I was in the check, and, and it looked really good, but the first taste, oh my goodness, it was just, it, was, it wasn't that it wasn't good, it was just bad. I mean, it was really nasty. And so I'm new at this whole missions trip thing, you know, and I just put on a big old smile on my face, and it was, it was a huge piece, and I'm like... All right, let's do this. And I just plowed through it, and I'm smiling, I'm talking, and I'm drinking every possible thing I can drink to wash it down, you know, because it was, it was really bad. And um, they asking me, you know, how'd you like it? And I'm like, oh, it was great. And, you know, they don't speak good English. I don't speak any Czech. So there's this, there's this little lost in translation thing going here. And, and um, I always carry Bino when I travel. And Pepto-Bismol, because you never know. I mean, you really don't. And, you know, I, so um, I got to my room, unscrewed that cap of Pepto and just, oh, Lord. And, and um, so I got through that. And the next morning, the parents go to work and, and, and my, my hosts, the two girls that were hosting me there, um, for breakfasts, they give me this big old piece of that cake again. And I'm like, and this verse just hit me. Eat whatever is put in front of you. And like God, you have a terrible sense of humor. And so, but this is what Jesus has asked these people to do. They're Jews. They don't know what they're going to be put in front of them. They might be something that's unclean, unkosher. Jesus specifically tells them, eat whatever and put in front. But that's put in front of you. And then and then what I want you to do, I want you to go where the community meets. I want you to go where there's people. I want you to heal them. I want you to serve them. I want you to help them out. I want you to get involved in their lives too. And then tell them that the kingdom of God is near. And if they don't listen, well, tell them anyway and and, and do the things anyway. And if they don't listen, just tell them it's not going to end well for you if you don't get this. And so Jesus sends out these 72 with this set of instructions that really don't make sense. He tells them, listen, things might go bad for you. Don't take anything that you would normally take for any type of journey and eat whatever's put in front of you. Claim the kingdom of God. He doesn't say claim the synagogue. He doesn't say claim religion, claim church. He says claim the kingdom of God. That alone could have gotten them stoned. That could not... This but you know, rocks and, and it could have it could have gotten them beaten up and run out of the town. This was not something easy for these people to do. And the instructions Jesus gave—it's like it's like He didn't plan this thing at all. I mean, we're going on mission trips. And, you know, Mike goes on mission trip. You plan, man. You plan like for a long time. You have missions team meetings. You talk about what you want to do, and then you look at how you're going to fundraise, and then and then you you re reassemble and you think about you know you talk about how the fundraising is going, and then there's there's team building, so you get to know the people on your team. This is over. I mean, we really plan for mission trip. Jesus, is like, yeah, hit the road. Have at it. Two by two, go. See how it turns out. Don't take anything with you. Don't plan, nothing. <clears throat> but look at the way the story ends. The next slide. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So this journey this sending of the 72, which which starts out a little sketchy. The instructions just don't make a lot of sense. It, it's, just, it's just not good mission planning. Ends with them coming back filled with joy. Like, wow. Man, do you believe what happens? Do you believe that something like that could happen? And look at the word they say. Lord, that that one word right there, it's the same word that the man, the blind man used when, when he came to faith in Jesus. He said, Lord, I do believe and fell down in worship. These people, what this tells us about them is they have recognized Jesus for who he is. They have They don't call him rabbi. They don't call him sir. They call him Lord. They recognize his messianic identity. They know now who Jesus is. They've come to have a faith in Jesus. And then they say, man, even, even the demons submit to us in your name. They are beginning to get this. They are starting to identify themselves with Jesus. Their eyes have been opened and made to see. Their ears have been opened and made to hear. These men have been sent out to heal, and they have come back Healed. They have come back saved. You see, faith in Jesus heals on a much deeper level than just what we can see. Faith in Jesus heals the entire person and not just the physical. These men have come back and their names have been written in the book of heaven. In the verse later on, it will say, Jesus, is like, listen, he said, You know what? I saw Satan fall. From heaven. And there's all kinds of, of, of ideas on what that means. But, you know, when the people of God do what God has called the people of God to do, Satan falls. Satan is defeated. And Jesus is like, man, I saw him come down. You guys went out there and you did what I asked you to do. I sent you and you went and you were obedient and Satan fell. And don't be all psyched about, I mean, it's good that even the spirits, they, the demons, they listen to you, but, but be happy that your name is now written in the book of heaven. These people got saved. And you know what? I don't know how they could have gotten saved because they didn't say the prayer. They didn't say that whole, you know, I accept you into my life and I'm saying, none of that happens here. There's no, there's no whooped up emotional altar call that brings them all forward crying on their knees and people laying hands. I mean, I mean I know that works. I don't want to poke fun of that. Okay, maybe I do want to poke fun of that. But, but you know, it's just they, they were saved because of why? Because they were obedient to what God had called them to do. And when he said go, they went and they came back healed. They went to heal and they themselves were healed. Do you, do you see what's going on here? See, our joining God is, is a lot bigger than just the church going out and helping people. Look at what we're doing. Look at look at how cool we are, man. We're, we're teaching kids how to change tires. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's something right there. I don't want no kid crunching his toes under the rotor, right? I don't know. When we're called to go out and heal, we ourselves come back healed. This is God's plan. This is, this, is, this is the way God works things out. The, the blind man in the story, he was sent to wash. It didn't make sense. This guy just bit in the ground and put mud in my eye. And now he's telling me to go walk over to this pool and wash. Can't somebody just give me a bottle of water? But he goes and he comes back healed in the physical. And eventually he comes to a faith in Jesus. He gets saved. There's no prayer. There's no altar call. He's just like, you are the one, and falls down and worships him. And the 72 are sent out to heal, and they come back saved. They recognize Jesus for who he is. Our calling to go is not just about what we can do out there. Our calling to go is also about what God wants to do in here in our own lives. You know, maybe, maybe you've been wrestling with that thing, that, that thing that just just pesters you and just, just like that monkey on your back, you can't shake it, you try so hard and you pray and you pray that God would take it from you or God would heal you from it, whatever it is, whether it be a physical thing or an emotional thing or you know, psychological or spiritual, whatever it is that you're wrestling with and you pray and you pray and you pray and it just, it just doesn't seem to be happening for you. Well, first, maybe, just maybe, you're praying for a healing that God is not going to give you. But it's not because he doesn't love. It's not because there's not a bigger plan going on. In fact, there is a bigger plan going on in your life. Or maybe, maybe it's time that we we take our eyes off ourselves and always look about, I'm broken, I need to be healed, I need to be saved. I need this fixed. I, and I, and I. Before I can go out there, man, I got to get this right. I got to get this under control. I got to fix this. Maybe that's not the, the way God works. Maybe God says, get your eyes off yourselves and go out and and be sent, and live sent, and obey what I'm calling you to do in your life. Whatever that thing is, whether it's to have that conversation at work, as simple as that, or something on a much larger scale, whatever it is, and then as you go and return, maybe that's where God will finally heal you. Maybe that's when God will finally save you. It's not... Just about what we can do out there, it's also about what God wants to do here. Let's pray, God. I want to, um, I want to pray healing on everyone in here. I want to pray for your Spirit to come here and to touch their hearts and their lives. Um, their minds in, 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 in such a real way, God, but not, not just in a selfish way, but that they would be filled with a desire, filled with the heart of the Spirit to go out and to obey the things that you have called them to do. And in that, God, they would, they would forget about their own ailments. They would forget about what is creeping or what is um, climbing up their back, and they would begin to see the world in a different way. And as they're obedient to your calling in their lives, God, that they would be saved. That as each one of us are obedient to our going, our being sent, we in turn would know your love and your grace and your healing. That we would know that you are Lord and not me. That we would know the kingdom of God is at hand and just put away our own kingdoms. And so, Lord, um, I I repent for all of us that we can be selfish. God, I know you know our hearts. and, and, And for some of us in here, man, that thing is just, it's terrible. We don't want it anymore. And we just want to be free of it. But breathe your spirit into those people. And know that as they go, you will be with them. You will give them the power. You will give them the authority to trample snakes and scorpions that even, even the, the demons will, will fear who they are because not, of, not something that we can muster, not something that we can do, but the spirit of the Lord is living within us. And that is our power. That is our glory. That is our authority. But I pray that you would just reveal that to each one here. And by that power, be healed in the way that you desire. Amen.